holding my hand and wiping my eyes. Broadcasting before and probably after the rapture, it's the Drew Marshall Show. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. We're live right here in Southern Ontario on Joy 1250. It's a track from James Taylor's brand new album. First one in 12 years, I believe. Watching over me. Have a listen. James Taylor. All right, listen, uh, we want to get along to our first guest here on the show. Hannah Whitfield is an ex-Scientologist featured in uh, HBO's Going Clear. According to one of the world's leading experts on Scientology, Tony Ortega, who we had on uh, a few weeks ago, uh, TonyOrtega.org, here's a quote. Hannah was one of Scientology's original Sea Org members back in 1967 and captained a couple of the vessels in L. Ron Hubbard's uh, small armada. I just love saying that word, armada. Uh, when he ran Scientology from the sea until 1975. In the film, Going Clear, she provides key insights about what it was like to work with L. Ron Hubbard. Now, apparently, uh, Scientology conducted a just a brutal smear campaign against Hannah, uh, accusing her of helping to murder her own father who was killed by her brother. Uh, prior to becoming a Scientologist, <clears throat> Hannah had escaped a family cult of some sort, so we're going to chat to her about that as well. Find out if all these details are actually correct. Hannah is here in Toronto taking part in the largest gathering of ex-Scientologists at the Getting Clear Conference, which is, uh, I guess, kind of officially over. But... I, I uh, shot down there a couple of days ago because I wanted to say hello to all of the ex-Scientologists and uh, Scientology experts and say, say good day, shake their hands, give them a little, a little hug. Mm-hmm. And I had a chance to, uh, to meet this lady. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what a week it's been. Are you exhausted? Uh, well, in some respects, yes, Drew. I mean, physically, no. But when, uh, when I get into a group like this and we start discussing Scientology and the terrible effects it's had on so many people... And I hear new stories continually of the abuse and manipulation that I find a little exhausting. I have to get away from it after a while and so that I can process all the information. It's, it's not a nice thing to get into. <laughs> no, I mean, it would be like a whole bunch of, well, anybody who's pro- had to process a lot of garbage getting mm-hmm. together for some big conference and continuing to process their garbage all over again, you That's know? Cr- that's correct, yes, and adding to the garbage that one already knows, yes, yeah, yeah. that's right. Did anyone get hassled at the conference? Uh, you know, did, were, were there any um, protests or, or, or clandestine people uh, lurking about? Uh, no protests that I know of, Drew, but there was one gentleman who appeared, um, uh, rather scruffy looking, and he appeared on the third day of the show, slipped into the room where the conference was taking place, sat in the back in the dark, and just came and went a few times until um, John Atack and Jim Beverly, who arranged the conference, 
uh, decided that he was an unwanted and sent him packing. But that's the only one that I know of. Now, how come I can't be there for that stuff? I love sending people packing, you know? <laughs> I could just stand up beside, I could throw them over my shoulder, carry you'd, them out. You'd be perfect, yes. I know. Okay. I'm just never around at those opportune moments. Um, okay, so let's just get into a bit of your journey. Um, yes. Hannah, you joined Scientology back in 65, is that true? That's correct. And yes. and you became clear number 60. Can you help yes. the rest of us who don't understand the lingo and the inside terminology and the codes that, that the Scientology gang uses? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What the heck is clear number 60? Well... Clear is a state of achievement. It's a emotional and mental state of achievement in Scientology. And um, there was a huge push in the 1960s to make clears, to cre- create clears, um, so that Hubbard could promote into society that Scientology actually was successful, Scientology and Dianetics. Look at these wonderful states he was, he was um, achieving, people were achieving, where they, they were exhilarated continually, they didn't make mistakes, they had perfect memories and so on. So um, I was, uh, John McMaster was clear number one, and I was clear number 60. I was the 60th person to achieve this immeasurably wonderful state. So, Hannah, the thing I don't understand is um, your memories of L. Ron Hubbard. I mean, I'm sure there must have been some good memories. And everything I've heard, you know, you and your gang say, you know, there have been some pretty pretty terrible things that that have happened to you. And we'll get into that um, in just a little while. But there must be some good memories that you have of L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, absolutely, Drew. No, it definitely wasn't all bad, although I do, I have to add that the one bad thing that was a continuum throughout my whole experience was being under Hubbard's spell, being in that hypnotic, trance-like state um, into which we all um, went, uh, where he was the adored savior who'd returned to save the world. But, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't with us all the time. There were good moments when we'd snap out of it and have fun. And some of those moments were early on and some were later on. For example, in the early days, um, when the first ship, the Avon River, was getting a complete refit in Las Palmas, um, Hubbard would often come on deck in the evenings after the day's work was done, and he'd sit with us on the forecastle or on the aft deck uh, amongst the hawsers and other wires and ropes that were around, and he'd, he'd drink his drink, and we'd be drinking uh, Spanish wine, and he'd regale us with stories about the civilizations that existed out there in the galaxy, you know, or in other galaxies, and he'd talk about constellations and what tribe lived on this star in that constellation and which one over there, and it was all great fun because his drink, I think the more he drank, Hmm. the more verbal he got. He had... That happens to all of us, Hannah. (laughs) But this man, (laughs) Drew, I think more more than anyone else I've known, he drank tall uh, 16-ounce glasses, which were a fifth Coke and four-fifths rum. And he'd have maybe 20 of these in an evening. Good but night. he didn't miss a beat. He didn't miss a word. He just kept going. So um, take, 
you know, uh, see that for whatever sure, it was. Sure, sure, sure. Well, what did, um, why did OT3 mess with your head? First of all, let's explain what OT3 is and why did it sort of start to get you thinking? Um, OT3 is a science fiction story, I now believe, and a product of Hubbard's own imagination, his own mind, in which a terrific cataclysm occurred on this planet, um, the 75, I think it was, million year, trillion, billion years ago or something. See, I'm already forgetting some things about Scientology, for which I'm very grateful, sure. Drew, but <laughs> anyway, in which mankind... Every person born after this big um, tragedy uh, in which millions of people were brought from other planets due to overpopulation, they were brought to this planet, put on volcanoes, the volcanoes were exploded, the people of course were killed, their bodies were incinerated, but the spirits were then caught up, taken to Hawaii and Las Palmas, and there implanted with the same exact images we see every day in our lives, whether we're at home, going to work, on a pleasure cruise, it doesn't matter, having a baby in a hospital. So that's why we live the lives we live today. Now, after that, man was implanted with all these images, and so we are left. This, he, he claimed that mankind was existing in this implant into the present so when i when i was uh, got the materials and i started auditing them counseling myself on them first of all i couldn't believe the materials you know for example i i studied geography in school i knew that the volcanoes on las palmas and hawaii did not exist 75 million years ago hmm. i know that they came about at a different date and I questioned that to the case supervisor, and she said, no questions. You run this material like it is. Hubbard is always right. So, you know, on the basis of that one contradiction, I started looking for these implanted beings so that I could get rid of them. I couldn't find them, Drew. I simply ah. could not find them. I was doing very well at the time. Um, I felt very alert, alive very much in possession of my faculties and I simply could not find them and that started me on a very long years long decades long um, quest to find out if Hubbard was right or if I was right in that I didn't have them and the right. contradiction almost grew too much for me because if I decided that I did not have these body thetans, body spirits, that meant I was a suppressive person because I wasn't getting, I wa my case wasn't improving. Right. I wasn't getting case gain. So I, I ended up almost, I think, psychotic and knowing that I had to leave while I still knew I had to leave. Okay. All right. Um, I have someone in the studio here. His name is Brian Houston. He's a friend of mine from Ireland. He's a musician. Yes. Yes. And uh, Brian is just itching. You know, the Irish, they can't shut up, right? <laughs> They've got to talk all the time. So, Brian, you've been listening to this, and you, get, you yeah. sort of gave me the, can I, can I ask her something? What do you want to say? Well, hi, Hannah. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And you? Yeah, doing grand, thanks. Great, Although I got great. caught in the rain on the way here, so yeah. I got, and I was late, so <laughs> I was a little flustered. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, I just, I mean, I'm, maybe I missed something because I came in late, but how did you get involved with this? How did, how did this start for you? Was it a personal relationship or? 
Where did it begin? Uh, I was in nursing. I was uh, had achieved my uh, RN degree, registered nurse degree, in South Africa, and um, a medical student. I was then doing postgraduate studies when a medical student friend of mine handed me the books Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health. And I was instantly attracted to it because I had had to take a three-month course in psychiatric and psychological nursing, and I hated every shred of it because I had to witness a shock treatment. Right. And so here was a book uh, claiming uh, a better science, a better mental health science and approach, and that instantly attracted me. I didn't like much of what the book said, except that it promised... Uh, it claimed there was a reactive mind which could be addressed and the bad memories, painful memories of the part could be erased. Well, and let me just interject. This is, yeah. and Brian, you wouldn't know this, but let's just talk about your painful memories because you kind of jump from, you know, the, the frying pan to the, what, how, how's that saying go? From the, out of the frying pan. Out of the frying into the, that's it, yeah. Yes. Yes, uh, all right, to backtrack a little, I grew up in what I later learned was a family cult. My mother had a, had a happy marriage to begin with, and then somehow a mental disease, a mental, uh, she got mentally ill. Um, in the 50s, the, you know, we had no one to go to. There were no counselors or therapists mm-hmm. or MSWs one could visit. Um, and she got mentally ill to the point where she believed completely that my father was having incest with all his four children. And I can categorically say that wasn't true. But the stories she spun were children were going from window to window to be with dad, you know, at night. I never heard any windows opening and stuff like that happening. Anyway, um, she, she got so ill that her conviction got so crazy that she finally convinced my older brother to kill our father because he was the cause of all the family's problems, which I don't think is true at all now. And um, so there was a huge court case, and we were all dragged through this. And she became very abusive, you know. She, her, her one hand became a whip, and she would, you know, whip and beat us physically. And the, 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 mental, the mental stuff we went through was pretty bad, too. I mean, we were threatened if we didn't stop thinking bad thoughts our lives would be ended. It was that kind of, you know, and for young children, those things go very deep. Oh, my goodness, yeah. I mean, look, you know, there's one other lady who came on my show a while ago, and it's because Brian's here, reminded me of this, who went through, not similar, Mm -hmm. because nobody has gone through what you guys have gone through, what you Mm -hmm. have gone through, Mm -hmm. Hannah, Mm -hmm. but... In in being tormented by her mother, the mm-hmm. stories are similar. I, and I I would imagine the mental illness thing on both sides. So Sinead O'Connor, mm-hmm. she came on our show and shared some horrible stuff oh that she went goodness. through with her mother. Yeah. Oh wow! Who would who would know, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So now, where where is the family now? Your brother, your siblings, mom, dad. I mean, what's what's all? How did it all play out? Well, uh, my my. Father, of course, died in 1964, and I vowed that I was going to get away from the madness after my brother's trial and after his conviction. um, I moved to Johannesburg to continue my nursing and stay close to him because he was going to be in a a prison outside Johannesburg. My mother 
continued living with another mad friend of hers, and I just tried to stay away from them as much as I could. Um, and then in 1965, after my medical student friend showed me Dianetics, I found the nearest organization, signed up, and because the dust jackets of the book showed that Hubbard was living in England, I determined as soon as I could, I would travel to England to his headquarters. And by the end, by August that year, I was on my way. Hmm. I'd done my basic training in Johannesburg, and thankfully, I threw the porthole, I waved goodbye to South Africa. Let me let me just read something here that I came across. Of course, yes. you know, having done a bit of research, knowing you're, yes. you're coming on the show, and you'll know exactly where this came from, because... Well, I know that you'll know. <laughs> Hannah Whitfield, a woman expelled more than 30 years ago who once had delusions of taking over the church through a frivolous $1 billion class action lawsuit tossed out of federal court six times and called incomprehensible by a judge. In the 1960s, Whitfield changed her name and fled her native South Africa following a family plot to murder her father for which her brother went to prison. Is it any wonder she later complained of a shattered mental state? You know where that came from. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Scientology's own Office of Special Affairs. Yeah, they, they smear people. They, they do very, very nice jobs at smearing people. Is any of that true? Uh, no. Well, the family plot, no, that's not true. Um, I was never a co-conspirator. Um, I had nothing to do with my father's murder. And on the contrary, I did change my name along with my brother, way before my father's murder, simply because we wanted to get away from the family name, mm. from my mother and, uh, and her insanity. So we were both up in Rhodesia. He was flying for the RAF, and I was nursing up there at the Puello Hospital, and we just ch decided to change our names. And never, never sued Scientology? Yes. We had a class-action lawsuit that six of us, Valerie and Fred Stansfield and Mary and Frankie Friedman and my husband Jerry and myself. We filed the suit um, and attracted over 600 people internationally who wanted to join the suit once it was classed, mm. but we could never get it, the complaint um, accepted in court because even though Jerry and I traveled throughout California interviewing former Guardian office members to find the nitty-gritty that we needed for the complaint, hmm. we were unable to find one that would speak with us. Now, you and your husband, uh, and I don't know whether it was whether it's something you developed or you just naturally had, Hannah, but you had this technique in getting people to actually leave Scientology. You know, you weren't a deep programmer, but you had no. great results. Why? Yes, because we realized that um, Scientologists do not respond to being attacked or being criticized. Well, no one does. <laughs> no one. <laughs> no. no one does. Well, oh, Rob Ford, maybe. And, and that's what the programmers were doing. We had yeah. to choose the other road. We had to go in on a very friendly, amicable, gradual basis and actually embrace the Scientologist and try to build some rapport with him. And because I had known Hubbard, and my photograph is in one of his books, and a, chap, a little paragraph about me Hubbard wrote in another book, we had some credentials. And so we were mostly able to use that approach, sometimes not, but mostly, build some rapport with the Scientologist, agree with him to explain 
to his family what Scientology was, was about, so he had his say. And in the course of that conversation, get his agreement. When his family was satisfied, they'd learned everything they needed about Scientology, the good in Scientology. We turn the tables, and they and he would then they would then explain their position and the stories they had heard, and we could give them the same time. Okay, I've got to stop you and just say, will you please do some narration of some bedtime stories or something? Because your voice would just put so many people at ease and to sleep and just <laughs> chill, right? Does she not have just a beautiful, <laughs> mellifluous voice? Yeah. voice? Ooh, that's yeah. wonderful. I've been told I should do voiceovers, so yes. I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you should. Well, <laughs> and, and, uh, let me, and, and I'm just looking at yes. the clock, and I've got to be mindful of our next guest, so let yes. me just uh, throw out a couple of real quick things here. Yes. Rock Slam and then the Slammer. Yes, the Rock Slam, of course, is what Hubbard called um, um, a needle movement on the E-meter, which was a very erratic, very rapid motion, backwards and forwards, so fast that, you know, I couldn't follow it. And it denoted the person had an evil purpose of some kind, either to kill or destroy or get back at or... uh, or harm someone, that kind of an evil purpose. Well, that would be anybody who's participating in fair game, though. That's correct. Or it could be any human being walking the earth. Who hasn't hated someone? Yeah. <laughs> Not, well, me. I, I've never hated anybody. <laughs> can I ask, Hannah, yeah. yes. um, can I ask, what was the moment whenever, was it the moment when you began to doubt the stories they were telling um, against the facts that you knew. Well, this is what she's getting to in this in this particular right. thing. So mm-hmm. the, the 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 rock slam. So the needle the needle did something wacky on the e meter. Okay, it, it's Her called needle. The, yeah. The, right. when, when she grabbed the uh, the the uh, the e meter, yes. the needle did something weird. That indicate it's called a rock slam, and that indicated that she was mm-hmm. an evil person, evil? And, and she right. needed to go to according to them. According to them, she needed to go to the Scientology prison. Right, yes, the Rehabilitation Project Force, the RPF. Right, which is in some parking lot and some trailers, and you were there for a year? Uh, yes, I was in there for a year. All right, and, and that would be the start. Yeah, that would be the start. Well, not the start. Uh, th- that would be somewhat of a catalyst, I would imagine, It's saying, uh, okay, enough is enough. Oh, absolutely. Although I had doubts, Drew and Brian, right from the beginning. But because I wasn't sure if Hubbard was the real thing or not, the what if... Yeah. was that backtrack, that backstory, that little thread that stayed with me all through. That's why I stayed so long. But the red flags, yes, like the RP, RPF was a gigantic flag. Those started accumulating until finally I started getting panic attacks. And that's when I knew I had to leave, while I knew I had to leave. Um, did... Anybody ever get thrown off of one of the ships overboard into the sea to be killed? No, never. So, because there's something out there about Julia Lewis Salmon. Yes, that's my story about Julia Lewis. She was one of the top executives of the Los Angeles organization, and she came to the ship for some retraining, and uh, she goofed. She made a mistake in one of the auditing sessions she gave, yeah. so the punishment was an overboard. And um, hold, but hold on, I just ask you if someone has ever was ever thrown overboard, and you said no. But was she? Oh, 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 yeah. Many people were thrown overboard to be killed. No, no, not to be killed. Oh, as, just as a punishment. Oh, I see. For doing something wrong. So, but hold on, if they were thrown overboard with their hands and feet tied, mm-hmm. uh, how do you survive that? 
Well, the feet were loosely tied. The hands were actually loosely tied. Okay. But Julia went overboard only with her hands tied. Okay. She went over screaming, and the scream continued until we heard the splash in the water. Then there was silence. And Hubbard was pontificating up on B-deck watching the whole ceremony. And he finally said, somebody look over the side. See what's happened to her. What's happened to her? And uh, so the bosun and somebody else, the master at arms, jumped in, grabbed hold of Julia, took her to the bosun's ladder, and helped her get wow. back on the ship. Wow, wow. You know, I'm. uh, This is the thing. I don't know how you do any radio interviews because very few people will give you 25 minutes to talk Mm -hmm. about things. It's a 10 minute thing here, or 15. Not the most, 15 minutes. Mm. And we've just gone 20, 25 minutes. And there's so much more to talk about. Uh, There is. There is, Drew. It's. uh, Are you going to release a book? Yes, I'm in. Traumatized. Just listen to it. Yeah. Science horrendous. Yes, about. I'm about in the middle. Um, I have a publisher, and I am, as soon as I get back to Florida after this trip, I'm now in Toronto, I will get back to doing it and hope to have it out soon. Good. Well, we will look forward to that. And when it does release, will you please contact me? I'd love to have you back on. Oh, I'd love it, Drew. Thank you so much. I really appreciate talking to you and to you too, Brian. Hannah, be well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, dear. Bye-bye. 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 I, I find you UK people always say, bye-bye. You say, you go up high. Like so Scottish people I know. Right, bye. <laughs> I guess it's a way to try to sound optimistic. Isn't yeah, it? bye. That's the last thing you want to know. You remember that person. Positive and happy. You want to do a little uh, song for us instead yeah, of us playing not? one of your CDs on the way out? Yeah, but that'd be good. <laughs> we'll go out with a live uh, track from Brian Houston here on the Drew Marshall Show. Okay. Well, I'm tired of being a martyr for things not worth dying for Trying to learn to play the game when only you know the score Convinced that I've been right with not one doubt in my mind But feeling the fear when one appears and I realize I've been blind The cause of faith is a noble cause And fear is her enemy And she sneaks up in the darkness When it's hard for me to see Invites me to her banquet In the mansion on the hill But I was only there to be compared And scorned and ridiculed I was only there to be compared And scorned and ridiculed Living Water Resort, your home away from home, but way better. Overlooking the scenic Georgian Bay, Living Water Resort is there to help the entire family refresh, relax, and rejuvenate. Refresh, play a round of golf, enroll the kids in specialized camps, or hike some of Ontario's most scenic trails. Relax in our indoor and outdoor hot tubs, then get completely pampered in our full-service spa. Then rejuvenate with a run on the water slide and a dip in our breathtaking indoor pool. Check out the fitness studio or rent any number of watercraft at the marina. With luxurious suites for up to eight people, spacious well-appointed units, high-end facilities and endless amenities, it's a second home for the whole family and it's only 90 minutes from the GTA. Living Water Resort, a quick getaway anytime you need it. Refresh, relax, rejuvenate. 
Living Water Resort, part of the Cranberry Village, a Collingwood waterfront experience. Visit livingwaterresort.com.